I really believe in having a diverse workforce and being able to support people kind of in pursuing their passions and their dreams at all stages of their life. And I think that that builds a better company culture that helps you deliver better customer service, right? Ultimately, happy customers come from happy employees. If you have angry, disgruntled employees, like you're not going to deliver good customer service. Are you a woman who's considered investing in a franchise or running one yourself? Are you searching for honest information to help you make the best decision for your future? Have you ever worried about whether the information you're finding has your best interests in mind? We're here to help. Welcome to Franchise Rising. I'm your host, Aaron Carpenter. Let's get going. Welcome to the Franchise Rising podcast. This is the show where experts, franchisees, and franchisors share stories, strategies, and expert advice for women who want to join or invest in a franchise. The information on this show is not intended as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a franchise and is for information purposes only. If you've been listening and enjoy the show, we'd love it if you spread the word. Tell a friend, subscribe, share it on social media. We're pretty much everywhere at Franchise Rising. And don't hesitate to give us feedback about guests we can bring on and how we can make the show better. You can do all of this by visiting FranchiseRising.com and dropping a note in the chat pane. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Franchise Rising podcast. I am thrilled to bring to you today Jen Saxton, the founder and CEO of Tot Squad. Tot Squad is a baby gear service company whose vision is to become the geek squad of the baby world. If that's not memorable, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so Tot Squad provides car seat installations, baby gear cleaning, and stroller repairs in partnerships with retailers. Uh, we're going to get into this so much more, and I can already tell this is speaking my language with two young children, both of whom are still in car seats. Where have you been the last seven years of my life? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's really great to have you. Awesome. Thank you. So happy to be here. All right. Fantastic. So... <sighs> This what what I found so fascinating about your story is you started this business in business school, okay, in yeah. an entrepreneurship program. And I mean, that's where business ideas are often formed. But I also was in business school in an entrepreneurship program, and I can relate to being in that place of coming up with these new novel ideas, finding a, 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 a an aching pain that people have and, and finding a problem to solve that. And so I'd like to hear about how that evolved from you uh, at that point. So totally. Can you take us uh, back there? So I guess, yeah. The, um, the, the crazy part of it is that uh, I'm still not a mom. I'm, I'm actually expecting my first baby right now. Um, this is exciting. Woo-hoo. Thank you. After all these years in the baby industry to finally uh, be able to experience my, my business from the perspective of my customers uh, is going to be thrilling. But uh, I came up with the idea while I was getting my MBA at Kellogg at Northwestern in Chicago. And I had previously worked in management consulting where I saw all of these women turning 30, trying to make partner and have a family at the same time. And at one point, we had no female partners left in the firm. And so I was like, wow, well, maybe if, if I'm a woman who wants to have a career and a family, this is not the right career path for me. And I just started paying attention to work-life balance as a trend for millennials. 
Uh, I'm 35 now. I'm like the oldest millennial. I was born in 82. Uh, and so when I was 25, I just kind of was thinking like, what are these big trends with work-life balance for millennials? And are there ways that I could improve work-life balance for busy moms as the millennials start to have young kids? Uh, and I followed that to uh, eventually what became a spreadsheet of 50 different business ideas, problems in need of solutions. Uh, and this idea that car seats were really hard to clean, really hard to install, um, and, and just not something that people like doing. Um, quickly floated to the surface of something that every mom I talked to wanted and nobody was, nobody else was out there doing anything about it. Um, and, and truthfully, I, I've been working on this business for, you know, seven to nine years, if you include my two years in school, um, just ideating and everything. And it has taken so much resilience. I think a lot of people would have given up a long time ago. Um, but just kind of navigating the path and trying to figure out, uh, where, and how to monetize this concept of car seat cleaning. So it has certainly been an adventure. And along the way, I became really passionate about car seat safety. Uh, it turns out as many as 90% of baby car seats are incorrectly installed, and car accidents are a leading cause of death for children. Hmm. A new study even showed that 50% of kids who die in car accidents were not properly restrained. So uh, I love the fact that we have a, a really great social mission that our team is all aligned um, upon. And, and we just have so many people who are so passionate about saving kids' lives and love working with families to make that difference for them. So that's kind of that's the evolution of the idea. Yeah, wow. I, I can relate to so many of those challenges. And I know a lot of our listeners can as well, just from a mom who wants to continue professionally and and have that work-life balance. And I think that's something that stops a lot of women. I mean, I mean, I'm sure a lot of men as well, but I'm just speaking from the female perspective. It stops us in our tracks when we're in that, the infancy, infancy of our professional development. I remember in college thinking, okay, what do I want to do when I grow up? I want to create some business and some career. And I would forecast forward and say, okay, well, wait a minute, but I want to have kids and what that what is that going to look like and autumn i mean that thought crosses into our minds and we need to figure out how to fit that in or does that mean we just stop and many mm-hmm. do, that's fine too but it's really hard to figure out something that's going to allow us to continue to develop professionally and have time for our kids so mm-hmm. um you know there's that and i just really commend you for having the courage to take on uh, a, an entrepreneurial journey like that especially not having been a mom. And yeah. <laughs> well, because I mean, a lot of times, no matter what we do, the best ideas come when we want to scratch our own itch, right? Mm-hmm. So to speak. I mean, I hear this because I'm very in tune with the entrepreneurial world. You did a great job doing your research and due diligence too, which is... Yeah. Which oh, is well, my, my thinking was, if I can just like get this business off the ground in my 20s and I have no kids and no mortgage, I can take all the risks. And hopefully by the time I'm ready to start a family, it'll be in a place where I can be as involved or uninvolved as I want to be. Not quite there yet. <laughs> still right. still uh, trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to take any maternity leave uh, whatsoever as we have some really big uh, deals launching the same month I'm due. Uh, so it's going to be an adventure here for, for a couple more years, but, uh, but really excited about the prospects of the future. No, that's exciting. No, congrats, by the way. I want to hear about those when they, uh, you know, yeah. when, when they're available to, to talk, to discuss. You mentioned something about some resilience and some that you had to have and some struggles that you faced in terms of finding a business model that's viable. I'm curious mm-hmm. to learn about that, 
especially given what you do. I mean, car seat cleaning, moms are driving all over the place. I mean, and when do we have a moment to even stop and let, you know, have someone else clean our car, let alone get out the vacuum and you know. handle a car seat. Yeah. yeah, and car yeah. Seat kids, you know, vomit keeps me in business. <laughs> like, uh, I remember, I remember this one investor telling me I've never seen the words vomit and poop written on a PowerPoint slide before. I was like, welcome to my world. Um, so it's, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. Uh, and I, one of my investors, uh, who is a incredible, incredibly successful franchise executive named David McKinnon, he founded Service Brands International, which went on to be acquired by Dwyer Group, um, which was just acquired by private equity a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and that. yeah, they own Molly Maid, Mr. Handyman, a bunch of, of mobile service businesses. He's been a great advisor. And he said to me, if you can find a dirty job that nobody else wants to do and do it for them, there is money to be made there. So I, I kind of knew that I had that core element <laughs> and yeah. just had to follow the path. So um, the business model has really evolved over time. Um, I feel like we're in kind of like iteration three and maybe going on to four uh, right now. So it really started as a mobile pop-up concept where, and, and we continue to operate this way in Los Angeles and in Washington, D.C., where our franchise is located. Uh, and effectively, we partner with a Whole Foods or a local baby boutique or a Bye Bye Baby. And we do an event from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. with a tent in front of the store and a table and uh, do 30 to 60 minute steam cleaning on your baby gear while you're inside shopping or while you get lunch or, you know, run an errand or whatever. Uh, but it's a very fast service. And the essential element there is that moms can multitask um, and they can do their shopping while they're having their service done, uh, which has been great for the retailers. The retailers love having us because as the growth of online retail has really caused brick and mortar to suffer, um, it has been hard for brick and mortar to figure out how to drive foot traffic. And what's great about that is, is that our kind of service is like a unique amenity that they can offer to get people to come into the store. And we do tons of, of data and exit surveys. So we know that our customers actually spend more inside the retail store than they do on our service. Um, because while we have the car seat, mom is basically trapped inside the store. <laughs> she can't drive away uh, and she will shop. And so that data has been so compelling and allowed us to build these great relationships with our retailers. But from a profitability perspective, we were really challenged because all the moms want the 10 a.m. appointment. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of end up with this gap in the middle of the afternoon where you're paying employees to kind of sit around and twiddle their thumbs. Uh, and we've just been trying to figure out how to tackle that. And along the way, I kind of came up with this idea that we could be like the Geek Squad. Um, and we could actually have a service center, like a physical presence inside a store on a more permanent basis, um, as compared to this kind of pop-up tent, uh, in front of the store model. And, um, as part of that, get our services sold on the baby registry. Uh, so what we have been working on for the last six months and should be going live next month is a membership program. So when you add your stroller or your car seat to your registry at Bye Bye Baby, you will be able to add a Top Squad membership at the same time, which includes your gear assembly, car seat installation, a couple of cleanings every year, a tune-up on your stroller. Um, and we've got, you know, a couple of different packages depending on how much gear, how many kids you have. Um, and really excited about that opportunity just as a cash flow strategy because yes, we'll get that cash up front when it's bought on the registry and we don't have to fulfill the services right away. So we're hoping that'll help us kind of ride some of that uh, wave of the downtime. 
the staffing challenges that we were having. So, so I think of the Geek Squad business model as kind of business model number two mm-hmm. <laughs> in the company. And we just opened our first service center inside a Bye Bye Baby uh, in New York City in March. So wow. uh, in terms of resilience, yeah, that deal took me three and a half years to negotiate. And I always said to them, if you guys don't want service centers, like we'll go to Babies R Us. You know, it's not our top choice. You're a better demographic alignment with our customers. Like we'll go to Babies R Us. And we signed that deal one day before Babies R Us announced all stores were closing. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. I know. There's something so in that. Yeah. So three and a half years. And that, that's, that's a little segue into a question I had because what I, what I realized is in developing this business model, it's not just about targeting these moms with, a pain, with that pain point. There are so many other players and strategic partnerships needed to happen under the hood in order to make this business viable from what I'm hearing. And mm-hmm. that, that piece with the retailers, that's a big... I would imagine, tell, us, tell me about overcoming that obstacle and how you even came up with that idea of partnering with them and, you know, and leveraging this idea that moms are in shopping with their kid that's crying and grabbing everything off the shelves and yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Well, and, and, I, and I think that's part of the challenge is, is yeah. that like Amazon is such an easy choice for a busy mom because if she yeah. doesn't have to do an errand with a screaming infant or toddler, she'd rather order it online. And so having a service as an amenity will actually compel you to step foot in the store where they know that you will buy all sorts of other things that you might not have purchased if you just were shopping online. So, I mean, I think the reason it took so long is, um, number one, it's like you're dealing with a big public company. There's a lot of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through like death by pilot to a certain extent. It's like, okay, let's do this pilot here. Let's do this pilot. Let's do this version of the pilot. Um, you do all these versions of pilots. And then my number one challenge in kind of trying to set up my strategic partnership has been turnover at these large mm-hmm. companies because you build a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody I mean, we did this a very successful series of pilots with Nordstrom um, and kind of got the green light to continue expansion. And then our contacts all turned over. Oh. And then it's happened to me over and over again. It happened with Uber. It's happened with Avis, like kind of some of this B2B stuff we're doing. And so that just makes the, the sales cycle so much longer. So I'm often joking that like in the startup world, like the, the secret is like, can you stay alive long enough to get the deal? Um, and I've raised almost two and a half million dollars um, from outside investors. And, and just been really scrappy and, and just tried to stay alive long enough to close some of these deals, um, including we also have uh, partnerships with The Honest Company, provides all of our cleaning products. Uh, so I'm we're a kind of like demonstrating them. Yeah, we're like the Costco sample lady kind of uh, doing a live demo inside the stores. And we have relationships with all the stroller manufacturers. So, you know, if you call uh, 1-800-Bugaboo and say my wheel fell off, they can refer you out to a top squad, which is great for us. No customer acquisition costs on those. Okay. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. So Bob probably as well. Bob Stroll. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's Marty. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've had a flat tire in our Bob because uh, <laughs> we went to all terrain in it, but. Exactly. Well, if there's no top squad nearby, you can always try the bike shop for Bob tires. <laughs> I think <laughs> they've all seen the Bob there. <laughs> well, that's, that's, what, that's what we've done. That's what we've done in the past. So, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you have this brilliant idea why not just keep it all in-house corporate and just scale that way? Why, why franchising? So I've been really interested in franchising uh, since business school. In fact, like as first 
first quarter that I was in business school, I audited the franchising class, which was taught by an incredible man named Burton Cohen, who was the chief franchising officer at McDonald's. Um, and he, it was just a fountain of knowledge and, uh, and encouraged me along the way. But I think for me, franchising was an interesting way to finance the scale and the growth of the company. Because if I were to grow corporate owned, um, I kind of have to raise a lot more money to do build out or, you know, get a van and hire a staff mm. and hire somebody on salary and do all these things. So I would just have to give up such a big percentage of my company. And, and it's hard to raise money. It's hard to raise money as a woman. It's hard to raise money as a franchise concept. Uh, there's, you know, you can just be a, a, a guy with a tech startup idea and get $2 million, like with a snap of a finger. And for me, it's, like, it's taken me like 80 investors, 80 people writing smaller checks to kind of total up to get to my fundraising total. Um, so I don't know that it's, it's so easy to raise money to grow corporate owned. Um, and franchising allows you to like actually bring in capital as you're scaling, right? The franchisees are paying you an upfront fee to buy in. Um, and, and the large majority of that does go back into supporting them and helping them get open and get off the ground and, and providing resources. But it, it, I guess it's a, it's a two-way thing, right? It's like you're saving the money you would have to raise to go open the business yourself. And you're also making, a, hopefully, a small profit um, as you're getting it going. So in the long term, you're giving up more um, in the sense that the franchisee is keeping a lot of the profits in their mm -hmm. pocket. Um, but you are able to get bigger faster, I believe, by franchising. Mm. So I think that that was, it, it really was like out of necessity. Um, it, it's my business is a human-based business. Like people are required to mm. install car seats. It's, it's not, not something that can purely scale with software. Yeah. So so franchising really made sense for me. And that's how I got involved with the IFA and uh, went on to win the grand prize in the next gen uh, competition for millennials in franchising. Um, the first year it came out, which was 2015, and that opened so many doors for me in terms of mentors and advisors in the franchise space. So um, it, it's been a, a wild ride, though. Yeah, <laughs> I guess sure. so. No, that's exciting. So one of the things you talked about is fundraise, fundraising and some of the challenges you've faced uh, as, as a woman and not being in the tech, a guy in the tech space. Have you noticed any shift throughout this journey in the past, let, let's just call it five years, so we're 2008, so that would that would bridge between before you won that award and now, especially you know, I feel like personally in the last couple of two to three years, we've seen a big shift and an in, in, in expansion and a, more of an awareness to the value that uh, bringing more women into entrepreneurship brings from a business perspective, just in making it more balanced and inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, has, there has been a broad in awareness. So have you noticed a shift personally as an entrepreneur seeking that kind of um, support within the five years or 10 years? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, I think that there's definitely a lot more awareness about the challenges that female founders face. Um, in fact, I, I recently read a study that said, you know, 98% of venture dollars go to, to startups founded by men. So women are only getting 2% of the dollars. Um, so at least there's, there's more data, but there's also a great fortune article a couple of weeks ago that said women do more with less. So we actually generate more revenue per dollar raised uh, than men do on average. So any investors out there listening, <laughs> invest in women. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to get that article because we're compiling some data as well um, mm -hmm. that that shows that the, the businesses that are more inclusive and have have more females at, at the at the head of the table, so to speak, 
are significantly more profitable than those that don't. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I want to be clear to my listeners, this is not an all or nothing like, <laughs> like, you know, women are better than men in business. It's just that the businesses that recognize that that inclusiveness and that more equal representation actually really helps the business, helps propel the business more so than those that don't. So. Well, yeah, and I think in, in a people-centered business, diversity for me is more than just gender, right? Like we are so proud to employ LGBT folks, people from across the, the race spectrum, uh, people from all decades. I remember at one point there were people working for me that had been born in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s um, wow. all at the same time. So I, I really believe in having a diverse workforce and being able to support people kind of in pursuing their passions and their dreams at all stages of their life. And I think that that builds a better company culture that helps you deliver better customer service, right? Ultimately, happy employees or happy customers come from happy employees. If you have angry, disgruntled employees, like you're not going to deliver good customer service. Right. And that also transitions to happy franchisees as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk a little bit more about this franchise aspect of your business. You said the headquarters mm-hmm. in DC, is that right? Uh, no, headquarters are in Los Angeles oh, and our Los first Angeles. franchise is in DC. That's it. Okay. So you're very early in the franchise journey, right? Which is well, I've been you know? I've been on the franchise journey for many years, but I have not done as much with it as I would have liked. So uh, I think that for me, I, I often got a lot of advice from folks. You know, don't try to open a franchise in LA and then go to New York um, and Florida. Like you're going to be dry, you're flying all over the place. It's not a good use of time or money. You know, grow in concentric circles. And I ignored all of that advice, and I, and I still stick to it. Because for me, I needed to be where the most customers are buying premium luxury strollers because those are the Smart. people who can afford my business. Right. Um, and it, it has not been easy. I mean, certainly it has been expensive and time-consuming, all of those flights to the East Coast. But I definitely think the markets that we went to next made sense. Um, but I think that somebody once said, when you're selling franchises, your first 10 franchisees are like pioneers. And after mm-hmm. that, it's the settlers. And so we get you know, dozens of franchise inquiries every month, yeah. uh, even though we're not actively marketing franchises for sale right now. And these are mostly people who are like, my kids threw up in the car seat. Where can I get this cleaned? And they find Top Squad. Uh, and, and they're like, why isn't this in my city? Like, I need to bring this here. Mm-hmm. And I consider those people the pioneers. Mm-hmm. They're not somebody who is going to a show saying, I'm looking to buy a franchise. Which one should I buy? These are people who are saying, this is a big opportunity. This specific business model is something that is make, would make sense in my community. Um, and I think that the pioneers are, are able to take more risks. Um, and I've just heard a lot of horror stories about, like, eventually the pioneers become very difficult to manage once you're more in the settler phase and the people are coming in and they're trying to buy a proven concept with proven financials and all of those things. And so I think I just tried to start franchising a little too early. I had a profitable proof mm-hmm. of concept here in Los Angeles. Um, not profitable enough to um, pay for all of the franchise legal documents, the franchise audit, the franchise consultant, kind of like all of the infrastructure needed to actually prepare for franchising, which is why I had to raise outside capital to um, get ready to duplicate my concept. Um, But a lot of these big partnerships, these big deals um, had not come through yet. And so it was more people kind of looking at this as, as an exciting opportunity, but it's just no guarantees. And the reality is that a lot of these deals have taken so much longer than expected to actually come through and close. So our thinking was, um, well, I brought in a chief operating officer about two years ago 
who changed my life, just the total yin to my yang. And I am the kind of consummate salesperson who thinks that like every idea, the great idea and every opportunity is the best one yet. Um, and she is like, okay, there's like 20 great ideas. Let's pick three and do them really well. And in trying to prioritize our small team's time and focus, it was like, why don't we focus on getting some of these deals? And then once the deal is done, the franchises will sell themselves. So we actually made a strategic decision about 12 months ago to stop actively trying to sell franchises. Okay. We have continued to renew our documents just because once you've gotten approvals in California and Illinois and some of these harder states, you yeah. might as well renew them versus try to start again from scratch. Right. Um, less expensive that way in the long term, I think. So, um, so we are actively, you know, offering franchises for sale, but we are not actively focused on it. We aren't marketing them. You know, we handle the incoming leads that we just get organically. Um, and probably in 2019, we'll start to turn that back on because the service centers, uh, as I mentioned, we have the one in Bye Bye Baby in New York City, uh, should be going to about 10 more markets across the country. That's so exciting. that'll be a prime opportunity for us to say, hey, like, here's a deal, a signed contract partnership um, for a service center in Dallas, say. Um, and, and who wants to buy the Dallas franchise and operate that, which is a totally different sales pitch than what I was doing a year ago. Yeah. So, and I, so I think that has been kind of our journey. <laughs> no, that's a really smart way to grow too. And at the end of the day, that's better for the franchisees as well. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you have a strong foundation and strong partnerships, that's going to help them all, you know, succeed in the best way that they can, even though they are owning their own, um, you know, own franchise, so to speak. So, what, so what would it look like as a? So, a couple questions. Uh, what would it look like as a franchisee of a Tot Squad? You know, what does that business look like from yeah, a day perspective? Well, so, yeah, yeah. Our, our current franchisee um, is a is a former consultant who uh, just had her third baby actually last month, uh, which is so exciting. And so, she's a super smart woman who's very active in her community and wanted to have a more flexible, family-friendly career. And that really is, is part of my mission in all this. When I was a kid, uh, my family owned a little miniature train in a park in Austin, Texas called the, the Zilker Park Train. And my dad managed the engineers, and my mom ran the souvenir stand, and my sister and I would go collect the tickets. And I loved that growing up, like kind of feeling like you're part of something as a family. And I love that we can kind of bring that opportunity for Tot Squad to moms um, yeah. and dads who want to be able to kind of like, you know, this, you're going to be at a baby store all day. Like you can bring your kid if you have to in an emergency, right? You know, it, it's not the kind of thing where they're, it's so rigid and you can't really involve your, like we go to so many big mommy expos and baby events. I went to the great big family play day two weeks ago. And, you know, all the people that are working the booth have their kids there with them running around and doing the rides and stuff. So, um, so I love that about it. So I think that the business model, like I said, that we kind of started franchising was really this pop-up events model um, where the franchisees are establishing local partnerships with their local baby boutiques, play centers, you know, different locations where moms go. Uh, and then also we are bringing to the table certain national accounts like Bye Bye Baby, uh, mm -hmm. where they can partner with the big box store um, and they do pay a higher royalty um, on the, the national account programs. And they do, you know, kind of like eat what you kill. You don't have to pay us as much for, for sales that you're able to kind of do and generate on your own. Um, but it's, it's a great business for somebody who wants to kind of be their own boss and create their own schedule and work in a family friendly environment, but still like have a, an income um, and, and a way to provide for their family. But it's a full-time job. I think it's important to say this. It's not like a hobby, part-time, side, 
you know, kind of, I think there's a lot of like fitness concepts where it can be very much more a part-time job. We're open seven days a week. It's it's more like retail hours than it is um, total part-time, but there's flexibility around it. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, a quote I heard from Ariana Huffington, which I mentioned in an earlier episode that she says she doesn't, she doesn't think there's anything, there isn't work-life balance, there's work-life integration. So yeah. it gives flexibility, but yet it's still a very, you know, it's a very involved uh, ownership model. Yeah, it's a full-time business, but yeah, you, full-time you, business. you can kind of figure out which hours you're working right, to, to right. make it full. So who, who would not be a good fit for it? Um, I think right now we're still kind of looking for the pioneers, right? Yeah. We're looking for people who are in a financial position where, um, maybe there's another spouse who's, who's got like a solid income, you know, this like paying the mortgage. And these are people who are more entrepreneurial and they want to take a risk on an earlier stage company um, and, and be part of kind of the exciting growth wave. Because, um, and I can talk a little bit about some of these deals. Uh, we will be launching nationwide with Amazon and Walmart.com. Whenever you buy a car seat online. Yeah. Whenever you buy a car seat online, you're able to add the installation. Um, so we've got these courtesy technicians wow. we've been recruiting all over the country um, so that we will be able to provide services in all 50 states um, for parents that need help with car seat installation. And I, I think and hope that there will be some franchisees, prospective franchisees in that group of car seat technicians who want to do more than just installation. They wanted to get into the cleaning and the repair side of the business as well and, and actually operate a full, uh, full top squad franchise. Um, and then also working on some deals with Uber. We uh, clean all the car seats for Uber in New York City, um, which is a really cool program where you can request Uber X or Uber Black or Uber Car Seat. Um, so as Uber begins to expand that program, that is something that would benefit our franchisees. Um, and we're also working on some big opportunities in the rental car industry uh, for any parents that have ever tried to rent a baby seat. Uh, most people end up schlepping their own car seat through the airport because they don't trust the disgusting, the bad worst. thing that you get at the airport. So um, I think there's some really big opportunities for us uh, on the airport side and still in early stages of negotiation on those, but excited for those opportunities. So that's why I say somebody who's more entrepreneurial than knows those aren't done deals yet, but right. wants to get in now and, and get working with us and then sees the opportunity for growth in the future. That's awesome. And, and you know what? I'd just like to point out from all the conversations we've had in the past, there's a franchise for people who have all sorts of different goals. You know, some are more entrepreneurial. Maybe the earlier stage ones are better for them. Someone who's not, who wants to just plug in and mm-hmm. run the system, then maybe a later stage brand. But, and again, topic for, a, for another, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that you point that out. Thank you. So you, you have done a ton of legwork. And it's fantastic. So where, where can our listeners find you and Tot Squad? And if they have any questions, thoughts, where can they find you? Yeah, um, totsquad.com and also on social um, at Tot Squad. Uh, you can follow along for gear tips on your car seats and strollers. You can inquire about a franchise or you can book an appointment. Uh, currently, we are operating all across Southern California, including Orange County, San Diego, L.A., uh, our service center is open in New York City and our franchise in D.C. And starting in September, you should be able to get your car seat installed no matter where you live, anywhere in the country. Makes a great baby shower gift uh, for a friend to make sure that their car seat is installed correctly. That's so smart. Congrats to you. All right. A few questions. <laughs> so a few questions I'd like to end, end the episode on. So, Jen, what's the best business advice you've ever received? 
I think the best business advice I ever received was that it's um, it's all about the people and surround yourself with people uh, that compliment you because, you know, I think I was enough of an executor and an operations person to kind of get this business off the ground as a solo entrepreneur without a co-founder. Um, but as the business got more complex and bigger, I realized that as many salespeople are, I am not a great manager. Um, I, I, um, I don't like to be mean. I don't like to give constructive feedback. I, I want to be liked. And so being able to find a really great operations person who could kind of take some of that piece off that, that really does so much of a better job than I ever did um, has been crucial. And same thing. And right now we're using outsourced CFO and an outsourced CTO we're about to bring on. But finding great people, and that's not just employees, it's vendors and franchisees and employees and surrounding yourself with, with just a, a great team uh, is the secret to success. Wow. So uh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, no, great, great advice. So and what would you recommend to women, any women looking to buy, invest, join, however you want to describe it, a franchise? I think do your research, um, you know, talk to people about what you should be looking at. Because when somebody sends you a franchise disclosure document, like the FDD, I think mine's like 200 pages long. It's, it's crazy. Um, and it could put you to sleep. And if you don't really know what the important things are to look for, um, then you might not ask the right questions during the diligence process. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I, I, I just think do your research before you make any sort of commitment because you're going to sign a long-term contract um, with this brand. Uh, and you want to you want to make sure that you like each other, you know, hold hands before you get married. Yeah, yeah, no, great advice. That's great advice. So, who in the franchise world? This is the last question, last but not least. Who? What other female franchisees or or any others in the franchise world do you know who are who are rocking it right now? Um, well, one that has been a longtime mentor and friend to me is Lisa Druckmann, who is the founder of Fit for Mom. Uh, which is, uh, is a fitness program for moms like Stroller Strides. And uh, she is San Diego based. She is amazing. They just sent me like this whole great goodie box um, for, I've been doing the prenatal workouts called Fit for Baby um, that are part of their program. I actually host them here at the Top Squad headquarters on Tuesdays and Saturdays to get all the expecting awesome. moms in. So they learned about us and it was so funny. We'd planned this for a long time and it happened to launch the week I found out I was pregnant. So I was like, I guess I'm going to just stay late at work and do this workout. But um, yeah, they sent me some cute Fit for Mom t-shirts and everything. So shout out to Lisa. She's great. And she is a real example of somebody who built her business as a solo female entrepreneur, uh, made all sorts of mistakes and recovered from them, just showed true resilience, and then surrounded herself with an amazing team and eventually got to the point where she could step back and be as involved or uninvolved in her business as she wanted to be. And so uh, she's, she's a couple years ahead of me, a couple steps ahead of me, but I really admire and look up to all that she's achieved. Oh, that's so awesome. So we, I just interviewed two franchisees from Fit for Mom and that episode's oh, coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Sarah Mooser and Michelle Lewis in the, they're up in the Bay area. So, and, and they talked about the Fit for Baby program. So. Yeah, I, I'm doing it. It's great. It's a really great workout. I mean, I, I'm not like a person who works out in general, but I'm like yeah. committed to do it during pregnancy. So um, I, don't be afraid. If you don't work out, you can still do it. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Good to know. Well, hey, thank you so much, Jen, for, for all of this great information, for your time. I, I absolutely love hearing about your journey. I wish you great luck um, and, and uh, congrats on this upcoming baby as well. 
Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Erin. Yeah, you bet. On next week's episode, we'll be joined by Shannon Wilburn, the CEO and co-founder of the Just Between Friends franchise. If you'd like to hear Shannon's story and more about the rapidly growing consignment sales event industry, go ahead and hit subscribe in your local iTunes player or whatever podcast player you have and stay tuned for next week. I know that time is one of the precious things you don't get back. And I really appreciate you taking your time to listen to the Franchise Rising podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more, hit subscribe. Or if you don't know how to subscribe, just go to FranchiseRising.com slash subscribe and we'll guide you to the right place there. Until next time, have a great week.